I'm Darren. I'm the lead account manager at HackerJob. In terms of what we do as a business, again, for people that don't know, is we are a platform for engineers to come onto the system, verify their skills, and then they are matched to different clients we work with, with the end goal of them hopefully getting their dream job. And in terms of my role now, I look after every client essentially that works with, with us as a business. So I guess that's an intro to myself. So we've got uh, Nick Goodyear on there on the line. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I've been looking forward to this right. conversation. Yeah. So yeah, my name is Nate Guja. I lead brand marketing at a company called Job Portraits. We're a pretty unique company in that we're a content studio that specializes in employer branding. So you could think of us as the content marketing arm of internal talent teams. Um, we're located in the Bay Area in the United States. We work almost exclusively with growth stage startups, anywhere from like larger A round or B round all the way through like F and a little bit of IPO. But um, that's, our, that's our sweet spot. We're a team of ex-journalists. We take this like journalistic approach to employer branding and content creation. And we do tons of research with the market. We really, really understand the candidate market that those types of companies that like high growth tech companies are trying to compete for, which is primarily engineers and, and really skilled um, salespeople. And, um, and we just like, we create content, primarily long form written content um, that recruiting teams can then like market, create awareness and start building their employer brand. And we do a lot of things on the strategic side too. So, and I think like, probably like one thing that is a lot more relevant now than it ever has been is that we are a fully remote company. We always have been. And so like now that is like really top of mind. And I think we do some like pretty yeah. unique things culturally as an organization that just allow us to stay super connected, like personally, professionally, like we're just a very connected creative team and it's like, it's pretty wonderful. So um, I'm very lucky to be part of this team. Yeah. I was, I was fascinated when we spoke last week and you were explaining how the structure of the business and you were like, yeah, we're loads of, it's just a team of journalists really like in terms of like, and that really, it's not what I expected at all. Like, I think the makeup of the, of the business is really, really interesting. Yeah. Here, I'll tell you like a, just like a quick story about how the company even started. Um, yeah. It's a, uh, it's pretty interesting. And so we have a husband and wife co-founder team, which that's kind of rare too. <laughs> and mm. so, yeah, they had moved to, to the Bay area. Jackson, who is the husband was looking for like a, a product, some kind of like job and product that with a startup in the Bay Area and he was doing a bunch of research and he couldn't find like the cultural information that he was looking for to see if he like really aligned before he wanted to apply. And yeah. so what he did was he just ended up like cold emailing a bunch of founders and like as a journalist and as a really good writer, just kind of pitched them on like, Hey, I want to apply. I haven't been able to find the information that I want. Can I just like come in and interview you? And then I'll turn it around and like turn it into a blog post and you can have it. Um, and that will be like kind of our exchange wow. of information and value. So like I can learn more about the company and like long story short, what ended up happening was um, founders like saw these stories as a way to start attracting talent and started like offering wow. to pay him for them. Yeah. And so, so we started with doing like those types of like, journalistic style, like culture stories, which then evolved into like employee and team stories and leadership and ghostwriting. And now we do like everything under the sun when it comes to writing, but um, it just all started like out of curiosity. And I think like, that's the ethos that we have as an organization is like, we like to like, we just like want to go in 
and like almost like embed ourselves to like uncover the stories that really yeah. represent who a, who a company is at their core. Um, and that's where like storytelling is extremely valuable. I won't, I won't go into too much, too much detail on it, but I, I, actually that's a, it's fascinating that some of the, the companies that you hear about being the, like the best companies in the world come from the weirdest and most wonderful ideas. Like they weren't, they weren't created. Uh, well, people didn't go into them trying to create the beast that the companies become. It's just out of curiosity and you're doing something and realizing, wait, there's a niche for this. Yeah, for sure. A lot of times, like they're just trying to solve a problem for themselves. Yeah, exactly. And then out of yeah. that, it's like, oh, whoa, there's like a need for this. And then it just, yeah, it grows. So it's, it's one of the guys I went to school with, he um, was trying to find like loungewear for just laying around the, the house watching, watching football and realized there was nothing that really fitted him because he was a fairly uh, big guy, if you excuse it, and realized, wait, there's nothing that fits me. Found a niche and he's doing fabulous as a, as a business, him and his, and his co-founder. So like you just find a little niche and then you go with it. Yeah. 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 You know what? Like I want to, I want to remember what we're talking about right now for like later on, because I think that's going to play out. It, it's like <laughs> something that like is really, really important when it comes to employer branding is like kind of some stuff you're talking about. So we, we could. Cool. We'll right. Okay. Let's get on to that a little bit later. Yeah. Probably should mention to anyone listening that currently we're in, uh, in May, 2020 and we're during the COVID situation. So a lot of we talk, what we talk about, if you listen to this a year later, just some context on, on why we're going through these topics. So I guess you've spoken about job portrait uh, a little bit about what the business does, but we really, I, I really liked looking at your own background because you've got a really interesting background. So do you, do you mind just giving the audience a bit of a look into that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so when I graduated college, um, I went to college in Arizona in the United States. Um, after I graduated, I moved back to California where I'm originally from. And I kind of like lucked out. I got a job um, working for two amazing wineries in like the area where I'm from. I live in an area that is like really well known for its wine. I had a, I had a family connection and I was able to get in with what like I became to learn were like two very well-known winemakers like in the industry. Um, <laughs> And they had a bunch of boutique labels and they were looking for somebody who was like, who, it's just ironic, who was young, inexperienced that they could kind of like mold into, you know, somebody who could like lead sales and marketing and like distributor relations and things like that. And so um, it just like the stars kind of aligned as far as that opportunity. And, um, and so like I jumped in and it was an amazing experience. Like I, I got to learn, I learned so much about wine. I managed like 12 different labels um, with, you know, I was the liaison with our distributors all across the country. I got to go do winemaker dinners. I got to eat food I would never eat. I got to drink wine I would never in my life be able to drink. Like it was, um, it was super cool. And I was young. I was like in my, you know, like early twenties. And so it was just like, it was, it was the best. Um, yeah. And, uh, but then I got to a point after like four years where, I just wasn't like, I didn't like live and breathe wine. And like in that industry, if you're like in it like that, like you just, you re it needs to be your life. And it wasn't my yeah. life. Um, but if it was, it would have been, I could have like had a, a great career there, but um, I decided to like make it, make this pivot. Um, somebody had told me that they're like, you should get into insurance. And I'm like, okay. Like I had no <laughs> idea what I wanted to do. All I knew was like, yeah. I, I was told like I could, uh, basically make as much money as I wanted and I could make my own schedule. And I was like young right. enough where that like was very appealing. 
And so um, I got into insurance and like I ended up building up like, like a pretty good business locally. Um, but then from there, I ended up moving back to Arizona where I went to college and I ended up partnering up with a buddy and like his father-in-law and a couple other people and started doing like higher level finance to the point where I got a job offer to move to Utah to work for a family office, which is like, you know, like you're part of like a system where like it's very high fee. You have an entire, you're, you're basically creating an entire team of financial professionals for one like wealthy person. Mm. Um, yeah. And that was like my big introduction to like the money side of things. Like I just, I just kept leveling up, you know, like over the course of years and I got in there and that, and that was really great. Um, but then I think like to fast forward a little bit, I'm 41. When I was like 35, I decided to make this like career reinvention, which like, I don't know, that's a little bit late. Um, <laughs> but maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, but I was 35 and I'm like, man, like I, I want to get out of like this, like more traditional world of finance and like that mm. kind of a thing. And I want to like, I've always had this like entrepreneurial, um, spirit in me. Like I've, I've started a couple businesses and like done that kind of a thing, but I, I didn't want to run my own show, but I wanted to be part of something that was very similar. And I realized sure. that very early stage startups provide that opportunity for somebody who yeah. has like a lot of experience where you can come in and like build and create and have autonomy, but you don't have the pressure of dealing with investors and all that kind of thing, which I didn't want. So, um, so I had a lot of like sales and business development experience and early stage founders were like really looking for somebody to come in and build out processes. So like, so I did a number of like contract rounds with, with early stage startups coming in and building out their entire, like go to market process, their sales process, things they just didn't have in place. Um, yeah. And, you know, working for early stage companies, it's like one of those things where it's like, it will hit or you'll just Definitely. be constantly. So I was like looking, um, I was always looking for jobs, but I was like leveling up my resume um, and getting titles and leapfrogging my peers really quickly because I took that path. Um, so like before I wasn't able to apply for like an AE position with a SaaS company because I needed like three to five years of SaaS sales experience. Well, yeah. by working with early stage companies, I was able to get like a head of sales title and a ton of experience in a short period of time. And just like finally start getting some roles that would, that would help me build my career a little bit. Um, yeah. I ended up working for a, a recruiting startup, which went under very quickly, but I really enjoyed the recruiting part of it. Um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but yeah. I saw it as like very much like sales and I had gone through periods of unemployment and have a ton of empathy for people who are go, who go through that. So I wanted to help people like get amazing jobs because I've been in positions where I didn't have amazing jobs. So I was very mm. like motivated to help. Um, I was really great at opening up new business. So when that company went under, a buddy of mine was the lead, um, like a senior tech recruiter at a big startup in, in the area where I live. And he was looking for a side hustle. So he and I just like partnered up and kept recruiting. And I would just like, I would open up new business and then he would do the recruiting. And it no, worked I... out really well. And we did that for like a year. And the whole time I was still looking for new, like full-time jobs. Um, yeah. And so I came across job portraits. Like I would, um, AngelList would be like my go-to for applying for jobs. And so I came across job portraits. They were looking for their first like BD 
person to take over for one of our co-founders. And I was like, mm. I had no idea what employer branding was, but, at, but there was a time where I had sold into creative agencies and I love creative work. I like, love it. I'm like, I love the beauty of it. I love the style. I love the vibe, like everything about it. And I saw job portraits as this like creative agency who sounded like they do stuff related to recruiting. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Like I want to get out of like the product side and I want to go to the services side. And, um, this is like, uh, this will really speak to the value of candidate experience. Um, I had a couple wonderful rounds for, for one, the, the first time I, I was scheduled for an interview with job portraits, they sent me a series of emails with content. Mm. Now I know that's the strategy that companies need to employ. But at the time it was like, I, I didn't even know what it was about. I was just like, I've never seen a company do this. They sent me live yeah. candidate, like, like a wonderful candidate FAQ, like a look inside the company stories about all like all the team members like all this stuff and like so i was so well prepared by the time like we talked and throughout the interview process and they actually didn't end up hiring me they, they actually ended up hiring somebody else and i hit it off so well with our co-founders that it like we left on such good terms that i just like naturally continued to follow up with them so like every couple months I would just ping them and just be like, Hey, what's up? Like, how's it going? I know you had a baby, like just stuff because I really, really like them as people and I love nice. the company. So like after like six months of doing that, they just reached out to me and they said like, Hey, it didn't end up working out with the person we hired. We're finally thinking about like doing this role again in a better way. Um, would you be interested? And so what I'm getting at is like, they provided me with such a wonderful experience that even though I didn't get the job, I still love them as a company and there's so much value in that. Like, like I think like I'm on this thing right now where I think like the experience is the value, right? Like if we can create an experience, that is what like creates stickiness. Um, and I think right. that's what brands want to do. And they just did it because that's just, I don't even think it was intentional. They're, that's just the kind of people that they are, but it ended up yeah. in that, you know, they ended up, uh, offering me a job and that was like a year and a half ago, you know? And so like I get into employer branding and I have no idea what employer branding even is. Like it's just like most people, you know, you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Stuff? Um, but then I started seeing this world of employer branding as it applies to startups and like the value of wonderful content and what it can do. And then all of a sudden it clicked and I connected it to like, Oh, this is marketing. And I started seeing everything through this like marketing lens. And then after I, after I like connected those dots, it was like off to the races. And then I've become extremely passionate about the industry itself um, to the point where I am now. So like a lot of people ask me like, how did you even get into employer branding? I want to get into employer brand. Yeah. It's just like anybody who actually is in, if you talk to any EB leader for the most part, they all say like, I don't know, I just fell into it. And that's like kind of what happened. Like I really lucked out. That, that's honestly the amount of synergy and stuff you said there to my own background. I'm like, wow, because don't know how I fell into recruitment. Didn't intend to get into it. I remember just being unemployed and living in Cardiff. And there was a company that I knew were, uh, were hiring. And I was like, cool, that sounds interesting. And I don't have a lot of money right now. So I, I, I remember I went into, uh, into an interview with Apple for like just be one of the like, genius, geniuses. Didn't get it. Went in and spoke to, uh, to a company in Cardiff then ended up working there and I've been in recruitment since. Um, 
I utterly agree with the uh, the fact that startups give you an opportunity to learn more than you ever would learn in in a big business in terms of especially in, in sales like when I I'm so thankful to our co-founders because when I joined Hack Job I came in as a recruiter no sales experience and then within a year it's given me the opportunity to do everything I've ever wanted to do it's been great on that side uh, yeah. and like you just don't know the journey it's going to bring into it no you don't um like even my my whole just my journey with job portraits like they brought me in specifically to like take over sales and bd for our co-founder to get her out of that seat right yeah like like she's been stuck in it for far too long and then things just ended up happening and we're we're a company that really embraces the idea of running experiments to test yeah. and to see and so we run a lot of experiments and we move quickly and like um we move quickly on some things that i was was really passionate about that ended up taking off and so like we just we ended up like slowly like shifting my role to the point where like now what i do is so much more marketing and like branding focused yeah. um and like not really sales related you know it's just but it's so cool like what i think when you have um when companies can look at like solving problems first instead of pigeonholing somebody in a role um yeah so like so many cool things can happen, right? So it's like, okay, we're, we're problem solvers first. What problem are we solving? Especially in a small company, there's always new problems. Yeah. Um, right? So like, what are the priorities? How do those align to like our business goals today? And then is there anybody who's like really interested in taking this work on? Exactly. And then it kind of, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah I, look at, um, I look at the team that I lead and the, we kind of split down the middle. We we will get on to I was gonna ask you a couple of questions on other stuff, but this is really interesting. So um we're kind of split down the middle. We've got like a we've got client side and then and then talent side. And if you look at my the makeup of my team, a lot of the team started on the talent side, but had a mm -hmm. real passion for talking to clients. So they transitioned onto that. So I think I agree with your point that where companies go wrong is just thinking, okay, we haven't got this skill set uh right now in the uh, in the team we've got made up now, we need to go to market to find someone with it. Where in reality, look at the team you've got, maybe outside of that function, is there anyone in that in those other teams that firstly is interested in it, and secondly, yeah. you think would be a really good fit for it? Yes. And I don't think companies do that enough. Absolutely. Like, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> wait, I, like, like an emphatic yes on that. Um, do you know where I really see this play out um, or not play out? but it could is, um, is on the creative side is on the employer branding side. And I see, um, I think like recruiters are the, the heroes of employer branding, um, especially at startups because they're, they're at the front lines. They sit so close to the action. Like yeah. they're the ones who are having like the actual conversations and they know what the market actually cares about. And yeah. there's a lot of recruiters who are very creative and don't have an opportunity to express their creativity because they're stuck in like an order taker role. And if there's a, a talent or people leader who can see that in people or create structure where they can express themselves that way. Um, I think a lot of these, like these roadblocks to creativity that happen on talent teams, like yeah. that's like the biggest reason like none of this stuff gets created is there's either a lack of bandwidth or a lack of skill. But I think sure. there's a lot of that skill internally that just isn't, isn't being um, 
like surfaced right now. Like there's, there's just yeah. like, you know, and I think recruiters would love an opportunity to be, to be creative marketers um, if they were just given the chance. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I guess you, we're speaking a lot about employer brand, but not everyone that will listen to this, like you said, will actually really understand what employer brand is and, and EVP and all those kind of terms. Sure. So do you want to run us through what you think about EV and EVP and give us a bit of an explanation about where the market is now for it? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I think when it comes to employer branding, like after you strip away, like all the fluffy terminology and all the buzzwords, yeah. it comes down to like what your candidates and what your employees believe to be true or not about what it's like sure. to work at your company. That's it. That like that perception that exists regardless of what you do. And I think that's really important for companies to understand is like, even if you're, if you're not intentional about an employer branding initiative or you don't put some dollars or some resources behind this, that thing exists. Yep. There is a perception, your employees and your candidates feel something about what it's like to work at your company and employer branding is an an attempt to influence that perception. And that's all it is. You know, a lot of that stuff is out of your control because like we can't like control people's minds, but you, yeah. but you can do a lot to like guide them in the right direction. And so um, I think that's where it's like, we got to demystify what employer branding is. It's like, it's a perception of your company, what it's like to work there. Yeah. Um, then from there, you can start getting like really tactical. Yeah, absolutely. So, and yeah. Um, and I think that when uh, when looking at a lot of um, companies' brands, they don't, they just they just see it as we've got a big name in the market. It doesn't like oh yes, we've got a bad reputation on Glassdoor, or some people say bad things about us. It's yeah. fine. There's there's a lot of fish in the sea. Whereas I was chatting to one of the members of my team this week on it, and I was saying that bad perception isn't just one person. They pass it on to five people who pass it on to five of their friends and before you know it you're 125 people within a very hard to fill market like you were talking about high-end sales or within tech recruitment like lo losing the the um the buy-in from one person can have exponential um growth in terms of how much damage it does to your company oh man yeah the um the peer-to-peer -peer influence is very real and it holds a lot of weight like yeah. there's there's a public perception, but then there's an entire world of back channel communication that we're not privy to, right? It goes Absolutely. on. And like, what are people saying about you? Cause they're talking. Um, yeah. but what are they saying about you? Uh, and, and you know, and, and then like something like COVID hits and then suddenly, you know, a lot more things get surfaced. They, they bubble yeah. up to the top and get exposed, which I think is like, that is a good thing because it's like, it's forcing some things to change that have just needed to change. I just wish it didn't happen, have to happen because of a crisis. Um, yeah. But I think there is going to be a lot of positive change on that front as we come yeah. out of it. Yeah. yeah I, I, don't, I don't know uh, what, what has been the circumstance in the US, but from a UK and European perspective, you can see a lot of companies, they never really thought about that EVP. And then this COVID situation has happened. They've handled it quite poorly in, in some ways yeah. and you can see the ramifications when we come out of this in six months time it's yeah. going to be that when there are more because we'll regardless of what's happening in the world at some point we're going to come out of this and economy is going to boom again in mm -hmm. whether it takes two years three years five years 
And at some point, people are going to go have options of different companies to go to. And if you're not creating a good EVP for your own team and you, your employer brand is bad out on the actual market, yeah. suddenly you're going to really struggle to find the best talent. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk about EVP and, and like what that, like, what yeah, that yeah, great. Um, like, you know, I think like it's important to know who you are as an organization. Um, and that can be through a very formal strategic EVP process, or it can be a lightweight thing. But I, at the end of it, it's like, I think it's very important for, for companies to understand like their identity. And, and because in good times, identity crises happen quite often with really high growth companies. They'll mm. raise a bunch of rounds, they'll hire a ton of people, and they'll go from like zero to 500 in a matter of like three years. And yeah it's easy to like s suddenly look up in a short period of time and go like, Whoa, who are we? Like, yeah. we're not the same company. There's a ton of new people here. Leadership is different. We have a board, whatever it might be. It's like, Whoa, we got to like rethink, rethink things. And so companies go through identity crisis a lot in general, but now if we're looking at like what is happening with COVID, this is a time for, for leaders to like really step back and go like, who are we today? Because I guarantee things have changed and it's time to like reevaluate that, that like brand identity and that cultural identity. Um, and I think for, especially for companies who are like you were saying, this is going to turn around and there's a lot of, a lot of talent teams right now who just have more time on their hands than they have before because yeah. Before it's like hair on fire, zero bandwidth, no time to do anything. Um, but now you have some time and this is the time to like really reevaluate those things and like check your values, check with your employees, check with the market and like put some things in place now and start telling those stories. Because like you said, when the doors do open back up, you need to be primed and ready and like be telling a really great story. Um, yeah. And so like, there's like some tactical things we can talk about if you want about like how to do that. Um, because I've been part of like those types of focus groups and stuff. Yeah. Like, I actually love to, to hear a little yeah. bit about what you think the tactics are on it. Yeah, sure. Um, so like right now, because everybody's remote, it's actually much easier to pull off than it, than it would be in an office. Corralling yeah. people in an office and dealing with calendars and stuff is a little harder, but like right now, um, people are just like, they're more available. And so I think if like whoever's going to be like leading this, EV charge at a company scheduling like first talking talking to function leaders if it's a bigger company where you have like management levels um, and finding out who are the culture holders in in your department like send me a list of like five names um, and then th you know this can be like tweaked depending on the size of the company but like send me a, send me a list of five names because I would like to conduct like a series of like focus groups to like find out how everybody's feeling whatever right yeah. so so that will like that will get you um, a list of people who like really align like with the company. Right. And make sure it's like, it's, it's diverse. It's it's across like all the functions and everything. Um, and then create focus groups of like six, five to six people, um, from like different functions and men, women, different ages. And yeah. then just like ask them a series of like pointed questions. It could be like a 30 minute call. Um, and it could be like, 
you know, tell me again, like why you joined the company? Why are you still here? Tell me a moment that to you is so your company name, you know, like, yeah. what, what is a moment that is like, so us, um, what, what are, if you, if you've had a chance to talk to candidates in the past, what are some of the misconceptions that they have about our brand? Um, sure. How are you feeling right now about the culture? You know, like ask a series of questions. Employees really want to talk and they will provide wonderful feedback that then whoever's leading this after running these series of focus groups can then take that information and you'll find themes and likely you'll find new themes. And then from there you can like distill that down and then Phase two of that is like content. That's gonna give. That's gonna prime you to create new content that shows and displays those themes, right? And that's like a. And I think like that's a process that is like pretty lightweight. Um, it doesn't cost a lot of money to bring in an external yeah. agency, and I mean that's work we do. I know how much it costs. It's very expensive, yeah. and very time intensive, and like, but like right now do that get a new pulse of like this is who we are and and then start mapping content to that and the best place to do that here here's a couple other like things that will come out of that is one employees will start talking about like why they like the company yeah they'll start meeting other people i've been on focus groups with employees at companies who are like so big like they just don't know who anybody else is so they start meeting other people they start he- hearing new stories they learn more about their role and then mm. Um, they have like more of an appreciation for the organization and it builds like this culture connection. A lot of time, like a lot of teams right now are trying to figure out how to pull off culture connection and they're seeing it as like happy hours and stuff like that, which are really great. But if you look at something like this, this is, this is like process oriented. It's going to help whoever's leading EB achieve a goal that they really need to yep. achieve. And at the same time, going to provide like all the cultural connection that everyone's like trying to get anyway. Um, and then from there, when you start creating content, sharing that content with the employees initially, is just going to like solidify all that work that you did. Um, I've seen it work. That's just like an easy process and like highly encourage anybody to do it. Yeah. And I, I think two bits I, I, I picked out from that is that I think, uh, and feel free to challenge me if you, uh, if you disagree, but I think that companies probably need to uh, to look at not just a, at a leadership level what your uh, your culture is because it's very easy for uh, a director or CTO or head of engineering or head of sales say I think this is our culture but really they're not in the trenches a lot of the time the people yeah. in the trenches are the ones that you really need to find out what is going on in the company because you're gonna in your you're gonna uh, bring on a CTO maybe every five years or so uh, whereas you're going to bring on new salespeople every day if you're a big company. So it's yeah. like, okay, what, what are we seeing uh, across the board? And also, like you said, um, get a bit of diversity in there. Don't just focus on, okay, this is what, this is the people we can get. Make sure that you've got people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Yeah. That's when you're going to really see. Yes. Um, and I think like you're, you're making me, uh, you're, you're reminding me of like the, the power, the benefit of like seeing the micro cultures within your company. Like there's this like larger organizational culture, but then really what happens is employees live their day to day inside of micro cultures. Like an engineering culture is much different than sales and design. And yep. like those are different people who think and act differently and who care about different things. Yep. Um, and so seeing that and addressing that is really, really important. 
Yeah, agreed. And I, I, that was going to be my second point. So you, you kind of picked okay. up on it, okay. which is great. Um, yeah, I was, I was. The second point was going to be make sure that you're getting people cross-functionally talking because I know even we, we're a fairly small business. We're like sixty people, but yeah. I know that I don't often talk to the engineering team. I probably speak to them twice, three times a week, and I sit on the exec team, so I need to be talking to them fairly often. So if you're not creating opportunities for people to speak, oftentimes they won't, and then you you do get those microcosms, but not talking among each other. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So I guess moving on to, um, on to technology as a whole and how it's, in, uh, how it's affected employee, employee branding. Cause you were talking last week to me about that. It's actually a fairly, like the U S is lagging behind Europe in a lot of ways when it comes to, to EB. So yeah. do you think that technology has had an effect on where EB's, uh, was probably five years ago to where it is now. Um, when you say effect, can you just like clarify a little bit more? Yeah, I, I, so I, I guess what I mean by that is um, are innovations within technology leading to a uh, leading to EV having fundamentally changed across businesses like social media, stuff like Glassdoor or Twitter or uh, all oh. those kind of platforms? Are they changing what companies need to think about from an EV an EVP perspective? Oh yeah. Um, yes, definitely. Um, it's per- so I think technology, right, I know it's a loaded question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think like when it comes to employer branding, there's more channels, there's, there's more ways to connect with your audience. Um, but here's like, here's the thing that marketers like really good marketers where they differentiate themselves from, most people who lead employer branding sure marketers see things as channel specific yeah employer branding tends to forget that and there's different language different tone different content that resonates with different channels or on different channels right and so it's like it's more than just like creating a piece of content and blasting it out to social it's like right? Creating content that is specific and personalized for that channel. Um, Mm. And I think like, even this is where recruiters, I think could be very helpful, like especially tech recruiters, tech recruiters know where engineers live online, right? Yeah. They know how to find them. Um, And those are also opportunities to market um, for to build like more brand awareness, except for most recruiters aren't equipped with things to help market them. Right. So like, I think like, yes, technology has in a way enabled employer branding Mm. to amplify its message, but I don't think employer branding itself does a very good job at the marketing of it or through it. Um, But there, as far as technology itself goes, um, there is recruiting has progressed a lot with technology. Um, employer branding, there isn't really technology for employer branding, tell you the truth. Like there isn't like, there isn't anything to like really plug into that is going to, that is going to help you like measure this stuff because measuring employer branding is like, it's hard. Right. Yeah. But I have some thoughts about that. Um, so anyway, that, that's kind of like my answer to it. I, I, (laughs) it's a good answer. I like it. All right. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, and then I, I guess from that perspective, and I'll, I'll give a give a, a, a statement before we move on to this question, but 
I guess, where do you think that employer branding is going to go in the future? Like, is, do you think that there's going to be a lot of change? Because what I think a lot, ha- a lot of what happens within businesses at the moment is if you're looking at an EVP perspective and companies are trying to find out what their culture is like from an internal perspective, like survey monkeys and that kind of stuff is used a lot. It's like, first, first of all, are people going to be honest a lot of the time? And secondly, yeah. like, is that just doing it to feel like you're collecting this data or are you doing it because you really want to understand the culture? So uh, I guess, where do you think the future will go? Yeah. So, um, so, okay. I think if, um, when, when employer, okay, let's see when, when the market is, is different and hiring is very competitive and yep. everybody's trying to attract the same candidates employer branding sits right on top of talent. It is a talent acquisition Agreed. lever that is designed to attract more candidates, right? Sure. That's it's lead generation. There's like no other yep. way to say it. Now for most companies that's been on, that's they've hit the pause button on that. Yep. So the external market is not as, uh, as important anymore. Mm. So, but the, the true benefit of employer branding is your internal market, which is your candidates and your culture. Yep. And that's the residual effect that every employer branding project we've done always has is it connects the culture. Like whether it's through content, it's through conversations, whatever. It is a forcing function to get people aligned and seeing like, oh, this is the value that we bring both yep. to our employees, to our candidates. This is who we are. And it rallies the troops, right? Um, And so what I really, what I hope happens is because like now the external market isn't as, isn't the priority that whoever's leading employer branding sees this opportunity to have conversations like we've talked about, not sending out surveys and relying on a form to give you information, but having like real conversations with people who are doing the work who are building yeah. your company to find out what the hell they actually care about. Um, yeah. That's the, that's the most important thing. And I think like you can't replace that. And um, sure, depending on the size of your company, you can't talk to everybody, but you can get a really good idea of what people care okay. about. Um, so, so there's that. Um, so I think like employer branding is going to be seen as this like culture building tool first. Yeah. And a, at the same time, everything you create is for an external market too. Now on the, and then also my biggest hope is that employer branding will finally get the, the level of credibility that it deserves at inside of Great. companies. Um, marketing and corporate branding has built in industry wide credibility, right? It's been there for years. It's like, if you hire a CMO, that CMO doesn't have to prove to the company why they are valuable. They still have yeah. to show their work, right? But they don't have to show their worth. Like yeah. they are, the industry has done that. Employer branding, unfortunately, doesn't have that yet. But because of what the market is wanting and because of this crisis, people want to be, they want to feel connected to the brands they support, to the companies they work for. Um, they want human and that's what employer branding does. Employer branding shows the human side of an organization. And so I think smart marketers will see that and employer branding and marketing 
can finally serve two sides of the same coin and, and serve a market in general that is just really wanting more human stories. Um, so that's, that's my biggest hope. But nice. I think employer branding, like I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the industry when this first happened. Like I just kind of like, I had to, I still do. I have tons of conversations with like people in the seat to like find out what they care about and what they're seeing. Like I'm just, I'm continually doing market research. And like now, now that like we've been in this for a while, employer branding's name has become even more well-known, which is yeah. like, very like exciting and it's refreshing and i think it will change a little bit but if anything it's going to employer branding as an industry is going to get a lot more recognition yeah no no i agree i I think that um companies are starting to realize the worth of uh of their name in the market which is never like like i said in in a point market you don't worry about it so much but in the market we're in now you start realizing wait this is super important and we haven't really put enough budget into it before like i i our, our our budget for Atul sometimes does come out of an employee branding budget, but it's very rare. Like of the companies we work with, probably two percent of them come out of employee branding budget. And then during the the next year of a subscription a client has of me, they'll often ask me, okay, like what what's your opinion on how we should market ourselves out to the market? Like we're doing this currently. What what's your opinion on that? And it sometimes I sit there and think, okay, you're, you're asking me but you've been running this business for 30 40 years like why has this <laughs> never really right. hit your mind about like why this is so important like wh- yeah. why is it taken because we do a lot of data on our side so i can tell you okay when candidates drop out of a process so like of the candidates you reach out to how many of them actually come back to you and how many then have a phone call um mm. and it's only when you start giving people data they realize wait we have an issue here that we probably need to deal with um yeah. but companies don't think about it enough it's right kind of left to the to the wayside it is, and, yeah. And then, I, then I guess more recruitment market as a whole. That giving you a, a crystal ball. Where, where do you think the market's going to go? Like, what do you think the, mar- the recruitment market will look like in, in two years' time? Because you're a remote worker, so do you think the market will go more towards remote? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I mean, we're already seeing it. Like, I saw this week, like Twitter, right? Twitter announced that. Yeah. Like, but th- I mean, that's a huge company who kind of just like said like, this is what we're doing now. Um, You're seeing other like really big companies just say like, we're giving, we're going to give employees complete freedom to work remote if they want to. Yeah. And I think like when it comes down to it, like office space itself, especially in like prime locations, like, like big tech companies, so expensive. And so this is like, I think causing people to go like leaders to go like, whoa, like we don't need this. And so, uh, Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. Like I think remote work is finally like here to stay. Um, and so, but with that though, um, the, the biggest thing that, that companies need to think about, see at first it was just like, okay, we're all going to work remote. And then they scrambled to put things in place. But now it's about like, again, like redefining the culture, like putting like really clear processes in place. See, like we we're, like I was saying, we're a remote first company built remote. Mm. When you build something yeah. remote, you build processes to support remote work. But w- when you're not remote from the start, you have to put those things in place. And I think Great. like um, employer branding to come back to employer branding, I think it's employer branding's job to lead the cultural charge and to like make sure that your employees feel safe and feel connected and remember why they're part of this thing. Yeah. Um, 
because that's like really the like now right now it's the most important thing um yeah so so yeah that's that's kind of where i I think it's going to be um which is great though because like in in as companies move to like remote first their access to wonderful talent just expands definitely Um, yeah yeah and so that's going to give them a lot of flexibility too which is going to be a big benefit for companies um yeah so i i I see it all as like an eventual positive yeah i um i was chatting to our uh ceo this week and i was chatting to him about because we've never been a remote company like me me and him very not we're not against remote but neither of us really ever wanted to work remote because i'm i'm very much a a people person where i want to be like touchy-feely in the in the office um but i think something that we we started thinking about was why should talent be based on your location why should where you're based mean that you can't work for a for a certain company right yeah um and, and i think like you're speaking to something you're speaking to something that's really important um like flexibility yeah. and like what it, what does flexibility mean because like uh like the you're different. You're much different than me. Right. Like I, I'm the opposite. Um, yeah. but like putting, giving us both the opportunity to thrive, um, is really, really important. And so, um, I think like really taking into account that like not everybody is the same and that people yeah. require different things to thrive is going to like, that's really self-aware leadership. Um, yeah. So I think like flexibility is also extremely important. And I think like another, like as a parent, I mean, companies now I think are more conscious of the fact that like people who have kids, like they, they live different lives. They have different schedules. They have like different things, you know? And so, um, so I think companies are going to be a lot more flexible to like employees needing to take their kid to the doctor during the day or pick their kid up from school and do some of that things. There's going to be a lot more of this like integration. Um, the one thing that I do like really want to make sure of is that as a remote worker, I've been remote for so long and I'm a, I'm a very driven person and that, and that um, working remote provides the opportunity for me to like not turn off. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so there's like, yeah, that's the problem. Um, and I've had that problem for a long time and I have to work really, really hard to separate work and life. And yeah. so I think like, as we go through this, companies need to be very conscious of the mental health side of this and like Great. really address it and like give people permission to not work and not turn off. I saw a stat that people are working three more hours a day than they were in office because they're remote. And that's a sign. It just enables our, our always on mentality yeah. so yeah there, well, there's we, nuances this but yeah yeah like, and i i think that i i fall into that a lot like last week obviously we spoke on a on a national holiday in the uk and i i didn't care because i work all the time like, i always have my phone next to me um but that's the problem that i i'm there is no separation i will use the same laptop to have a conversation yeah. with everyone on zoom as i also use to watch netflix so like you yeah, need to right. find a way to separate like there's no way to separate if you're using the same devices all the time right i know what's your advice for getting buy-in from the top to get the ball rolling for employer branding yeah that's a that's a really good question um so the way to get buy-in is one through education i think it's like important to realize that um most in most companies people outside of like the the little bubble that whoever's leading employer branding lives have no idea what employer branding is um 
Like they don't like, they just, they need to be educated on it. They already know what marketing is. They already know like corporate branding and all that kind of stuff. But like employer branding is a very new thing internally at most companies. Um, so it just, it starts with education. I would encourage anybody who's leading this to sit down with like function leaders and just like have a conversation about how employer branding will help them achieve their goals. That's what you have to do is you have to take something that is like unknown and map it back to what other people care about. And that's going to like make this whole thing like tangible. It's like, Oh, that's what that is. It's going to help me get better engineers or it's going to help my people feel more parts of whatever it might be. Do that and start selling it individually to, to yeah. those types of leaders. Um, and then once you have that kind of buy-in, you're good. It's when, um, it's when you don't have that, that you're just like, you're running uphill, but like EB leaders or talent leaders, whoever's leading this thing, they need to be like, um, they need to like lead this charge inside and they have to like reach out to people and say like, Hey CTO, like I want to explain to you like more about employee branding, how it's going to like help you. Um, and then, you know, Hey, I'm going to go back. I'm going to, I have some ideas. I'm going to go back and then I'm going to follow up with you to tell you, like, to show you, like now all of a sudden you've created this, like, this co-creative relationship of like yeah. how EB is going to benefit engineering and sales. You know, it's like piece it up like that. Um, and always map it back. The only thing that the top cares about is how this affects the bottom line. Like let's Great. just be real about it. It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to help us like keep more people, which is like costs a ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. And when it, when, or if you're hiring, we're going to speed up the hiring process and cut down time there and hire just better people. That's it. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't, com don't complicate this thing. No, exactly. Cool. So I guess we've kind of got to the, the end of the session. I've really, really enjoyed this and I hope yeah. we can get you uh, on another session going forward for, oh, yeah, for, for anyone sure. that's kind of listening during this or, or after the fact, where can everyone find you if they've got further questions? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, I post three plus times a week around this topic. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can message me on LinkedIn. Um, or you can email me, nate at jobportraits.com. If anyone wants to chuck questions at myself, uh, if you use hello at hackerjobs.co, it'll come through to me and then we take it from there. Thanks so much for your time, Nate. I can't wait yeah. to get you on in the future. I, I, I'm really uh, excited to talk about like remote and all that kind of stuff as well because sure. I don't think we really got into as much as, it, as I, I kind of wanted to. But it's been a great call. Yeah, man. I'd love to. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.